You are listening to a Nerd Room Podcast, a member of the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network. Be sure to check out more from the Star Wars Commonwealth on the web at StarWarsCommonwealth.com and take your first steps into a larger world. Welcome to the Nerd Room MCU Retrospective Series, a 16-month look back into the Marvel Cinematic Universe leading into a weekend of release review of Avengers Infinity War. I'm one of your hosts, Tim. I'm Troy. And I'm Sanjay. And this month we'll be discussing Iron Man 2, starring Robert Downey Jr., Gwyneth Paltrow, Don Cheadle, Scarlett Johansson, Sam Rockwell, Mickey Rourke, Samuel L. Jackson, and directed by John Favreau. Gentlemen, welcome back to the retrospective table. I'm immensely excited to discuss Iron Man 2. <laughs> I got Sanjay across the table already laughing at the fact that this pre-discussion that we had about that's how right. much I actually maybe kind of like this movie. Yeah, no, I mean, that's your prerogative. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be as positive as I can about this film. Uh, there's some things that I liked and other things that I didn't, yeah. but I'm just going to give my opinion and we'll see where it goes. Definitely. Well, we definitely <laughs> welcome that. And we welcome you, the listeners, to give your opinions as well. And coming off the back end of reviewing Iron Man and Incredible Hulk, these were two movies that I hadn't seen in a couple years, and I was quite excited to watch them. And I really enjoyed watching them as well. And coming back to a lot of these movies, I'm finding myself, when revisiting, I'm seeing a lot more and I'm appreciating a lot more. And I'm interested to see how we kind of round out that conversation towards the end of the episode as we step through this kind of chronologically as we've done with the other movies. And coming off Iron Man in 2008, this was a massive success. And immediately Marvel Studios moved into almost sausage factory mode with pumping (laughs) out their movies. They started to build the cinematic universe. They teased it. They seeded it in Iron Man. And in Iron Man 2, it really explodes into the universe almost that we know right now. We get the appearance of S.H.I.E.L.D. members. We get the introduction of an Avenger. We do see a lot of universe building in this film. Yeah, sometimes you might need that one film that kind of takes that lead where it you know plants the seeds for other films and for future events to come and you know i think this is the one that uh, as you said burden that uh, burden that burden is that a that's that's a saying <laughs> right the burden? yeah the yeah burden. shoulder the there burden there we go nice so this came out two years after iron man number one which is quite unusual especially nowadays for us to have this large of a break between marvel cinematic universe films that dropped in 2010 and it was a pretty quiet year, a pretty quiet two years, actually. 2009 saw Watchmen and X-Men Origins Wolverine drop. And 2010, there wasn't a lot going on in that year. There was Kick-Ass and a few other comic book movies. But Iron Man was the big movie. Everyone was anticipating this. And do you think that waiting the two years was appropriate? Or do you think they should have shoved something else in there? Like, I don't think they really had much of a choice. But it's interesting because nowadays they they really thrive on that momentum and keeping these characters within the public consciousness to keep that ride. And we see this coming out of Avengers, that this is a big deal. So the public had basically two years to somewhat forget about Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man. But it didn't really appear that many people forgot because this movie <laughs> absolutely killed it 
in theaters. It had a $128 million opening weekend. Wow. Which was enormous for 2010. I know we're talking only eight years ago, but the movies weren't what they are today with these 100 million plus openings, even getting up to this $150, $200 million openings that were almost expected out of some of these larger event films. And I would consider this somewhat of an event film because of what it started and what it was building into yeah and, and, and it's still pretty huge numbers even to this day 120 that's that's massive yeah nothing yeah. to sneeze at no if i did anything that made 120 million in a weekend no nah. that's like do... double power rangers <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah uh triple i think yeah, yeah. it's a triple yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and it wow. ran into a worldwide cum of 623 million dollars 300 million dollars domestically wow so this ranks as the seventh highest grossing mcu film so it is behind quite a few of the other films including iron man which is interesting to look at, but it did have a big international pull at $300 million, which is something new. This market was opening up at this time for these Marvel Cinematic Universe characters. And you look what that translates into now is that over half to three quarters of the total for the global halls come from international markets. So they're really starting to focus in on that now. And this is the movie that really started that off. So in continuing on with the um, financial numbers of the movie, looking at the home sales, and that's DVD and Blu-ray, I mean, this is only, what, as you said, eight years ago, but times have certainly changed. So this movie, including DVD and Blu-ray, made a total of $177 million. You don't see numbers. That's more than The Force Awakens made. Um, And Civil War, to give you a comparison, is at $70 million so far. Wow. So it's over $100 million more. But that doesn't include digital downloads, but I don't think Civil War has been digitally downloaded $100 million worth. No. So the home box office market has vastly changed in such a short period of time. That's scary. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. It this is, is uh, number three, I believe, just behind the Avengers, which made a little over $220 million at the home box office, and Iron Man 1, which made $196 million. That's crazy. That's so much money. <laughs> yeah. And you can really see why Marvel Studios pumped out some of these films and started to build this cohesive universe. These numbers are enormous people were liking what they were seeing specifically with Iron Man. And then there's all these rumors going on in 2009 into 2010 about what they were doing, what they were building. You had Samuel L. Jackson sign on to a nine pitcher deal to play Nick Fury. You had Cap and Thor start production in 2009. So even without this movie, they were going for this universe. They were driving towards Avengers. And it was quite a risk putting out some of these characters. Like Iron Man was somewhat bankable at the time. But you think about what they built into this, trying to introduce Black Widow, yeah. Nick Fury, War S.H.I.E.L.D., War Machine. Yeah. All of these characters that eventually are now household name characters. Characters yeah. we see in one or two movies every other year. Yeah. And it's really crazy to see what they did kind of looking back at it here because I really thought before watching this movie that this movie spent all of its time universe building. And it's actually quite a short amount of time that they set up other films and other aspects that you're going to need down the road for Avengers. And that kind of shocked me because I always pictured this movie as being so weighed down by Nick Fury, by Black Widow and what they're trying to set up. And I don't think it really is that. I think it works into this universe quite nicely. This becomes almost a must watch if you're going to start from the beginning to understand the dynamics of Tony Stark with S.H.I.E.L.D. and what they built into in Avengers. Yeah, I mean, we take for granted, I mean, seeing Samuel L. Jackson appear in the film, like looking back now, seeing him appear in almost like every other film, I forgot about like the excitement I felt when I first saw him. Same with Black Widow, same with S.H.I.E.L.D., I mean, some of the stuff you you go back and you watch and you're like, wow, like when Samuel Jackson appeared, I'm sure when I was in the theater, I was like, oh, wow, like that's Nick Fury. Like that's insane. 
But now I'm just like, oh yeah, that's Nick Fury. Like he was in eight other movies. Yeah, yeah you kind of take it for granted. Yeah. yeah. No, no, the setup in this movie actually worked for me. It did back then, and it did even to this day. I, I don't really know what the whole like problem was back in the day with with the setup. I've seen far worse in films. Um, I don't want to jab at BBS, <laughs> but I really feel like this movie doesn't really suffer from the setup, and it makes sense. It it, it works, especially when you see uh, Agent Coulson you know, show up yeah. there, which is great. And, you know, we get him down the road for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the rumors maybe that with regards to this movie being weighed down by the continuity, by the universe building, came from John Favreau because there's a lot of friction between him and Marvel Studios, even leading to him departing Iron Man 3, the director's chair for that. He came back as Happy Hogan. Yeah. But because of the intervention of Marvel Studios saying you need S.H.I.E.L.D., you need Fury, you need this, you need to layer this into the film. Right. So that that provided some of that friction and maybe some of those rewrites that he wasn't completely happy with to tell this overall Iron Man story. And that's something I want to come back to later on is if it's the universe building or if it's maybe a Russian villain or something that doesn't allow this to be a complete standalone movie. And I don't know if the movies should be expected to be almost completely standalone because I think we have to remember when we're looking at the MCU now that the narrative doesn't belong to one character anymore. The narrative belongs to the group of characters. So having standalones... I know it, it benefits a movie that you can watch it in isolation, but they're at the same time not asking you to do that anymore. So I think you have to remember that when you're, you're looking at, does this movie get weighed down by continuity? Yes, maybe, but it also is asking you to build this universe within it and to kind of recognize that there's a lot larger story going on in the background. So I think that's something to keep in mind when talking about how much burden this shoulders for continuity for universe building. Right, right. And especially because I think the audience too, right? It plays off it. It's it's comic book guys, right? I yeah. mean, and then you get the general audience and we're kind of in it for the lore, no different than Star Wars or even these big franchises like uh, Fast and the Furious, right? I mean, you yeah. got to start from the beginning and really you know sink your teeth into these movies. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like comic book movies are the one franchise or one um, genre where you see a character that you love that you grew up watching, and they just like make a nod to him, and you're like instantly like, oh, that movie's amazing. Yeah, like I love that film, right? Like right. so many films are like that where you're like, oh, like they showed Fury and Agents of Shield, like oh, I love this film. Yeah, and it's like the one thing because like we grew up with these characters. It's not like you, you mentioned like Fast and the Furious, like. I don't know Vin Diesel's character. Like, I didn't grow up, like, yeah. I don't even know his name. Dom. <laughs> Dom, yeah. Like, no one grew up, like, <laughs> no. Dom's my boy. Like, right. you're like oh, my right. God, do you see Dom appear yeah. in Fast and Furious 8? Like, ah! You know? Yeah. So. yeah, but some little kid nowadays might, you know, Yeah, Fast and Furious 9, 10, yeah. 11, 12. That's true. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> um, so we always look back a bit at the comic books when we're discussing these individual movies and try to see where the inspiration is taken from. And in early days of development, Favreau and Robert Downey Jr. discussed this being a slight adaptation or at least inspired by the story Demon in a Bottle. So this is a story that was published in 1979 and ran for nine issues. I did go back and reread this because I want to see how much they actually took from this. Because as we go through this movie, you see that they play a little bit on the alcoholism. Not so much as really kind of demon in a bottle light when looking at the alcoholism and all that. Marvel Studios didn't really seem to want to adapt that. And then we get into the later stages of Disney buying them in 2009, I believe. So you don't, you kind of see why they didn't really adapt that. And I don't think the movie suffers from that. But I was surprised when I looked at the Demon in a Bottle storyline because there's actually a lot more in there that they use in this movie than just that alcoholism portion of it. We have Hammer's first appearance, Justin Hammer's first appearance in this movie. There's Whiplash is a 
a crony of Justin Hammer's. You get Monaco is one of the settings that we do see oh. in this film as well. We see the suitcase armor. We see um, the government asking Stark to hand over his, what is a malfunctioning suit. And so they take a lot of inspiration from this nine issue story arc, a lot more than I thought they did. And in constructing this movie, I thought this was a lot of, we're going to pluck different characters right. from different parts of Iron Man's history, mm-hmm. kind of jam them together to form an overall plot here. But they do take a lot of inspiration from this, a lot more than just the alcoholism piece. And, you know, when you look at that that storyline, it is praised for how mature it was for the time. Right. And it's one of Iron Man's greatest storylines as well. Right, most and, dark ones. Yeah, too, right? well, and so they do try to play with elements of that. I think you see a little bit of that in Iron Man 3 with his PTSD and his inability to deal with things. So it's interesting that they kind of folded all of this into this movie. And I was quite happy to go back and revisit that because I got a lot more out of it nice. because of how much it connects into Iron Man 2 here. And like every MCU movie, especially nowadays, we do get our comic book preludes. And this is not short of any by any means. This has four issues or three issues and a a single one shot that lead into this movie. Now, I wouldn't say that they're as important as watching the movie or anything like that. These, again, are supplemental pieces. These kind of bring a little bit more depth to the universe. There's a um, a three-issue series called Public Identity, which goes through a bit of um, Tony and the armies or the military's relationship, where that friction comes from that we see in the movie. There's a little bit of backstory of Howard and Anton Vanko. So this is the um, the Russian that eventually, or I guess Ivan, the main villain, with his father. father. Yeah. So it kind of builds on that. General Ross makes an appearance here, Justin Hammer, as well as it explains a bit more of Tony and Howard. So his father's relationship here. There's even a moment where Howard smacks him across the face. Oh, so he does the Batman Robin yeah. kind of slap. Oh, <laughs> big slap. Crucial. Yeah. So and then there's also a one shot called Agents of the Shield, which is three small stories, which kind of explains where Coulson was and where Black Widow was just as we get into Iron Man 2. So it's cool. just kind of fun stories, building a little of the backstory. No real implications for the film at all, so you don't really need them. But they're a fun read if you're kind of trying to type a bit more of that continuity within the MCU. Cool. Can you find those on uh, comic book stores now? Or is there like no. a graphic novel or comicology? I'm sure there'll be comics, uh, comicsology. You'll be able to find them. Yeah. And I'm yeah. sure you'll be able to get them in trade somewhere. There must be a trade, eh? Yeah, you can I'm get sure. them off Amazon or yeah. whatever bookstore. Or you probably even get the local comic book shop to to order them in. I've got the single issues, but they took me quite a while to find all of them. Uh, kind of found bits and pieces, different comic sales and all that. Nice. The cover art's incredible, though. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good, actually. This is probably one of the more comprehensive prelude comic book lines that we do get. Usually, they're one or two comics. And even nowadays, with the Spider-Man Homecoming that just dropped, yeah. it's just kind of a retelling of the previous movie in comic book form. So it doesn't right. really add much to the universe. These actually add something, not like, again, inconsequential. Right. But they do add a little bit of story, a little bit of background to characters as they're trying to introduce them into the wider MCU here. So it is it's kind of fun to read them. Yeah, I mentioned it before. I still think they should include these on the Blu-rays, like these Ultimate Editions. They yes, should, they should. They really should throw them Digital in there. Digital copy. Yes. Like a motion yeah, copy exactly. or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it'd be really cool. Motion yeah. copy. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that'd be great. So let's set the stage here for Iron Man 2. This is set six months after the I Am Iron Man, the Battle of Yavin type reference point that we have in the MCU. And this takes place, like we said last time, at the exact same time as Incredible Hulk and Thor. We get a lot more references, Thor. There's some few small references to incredible hulk particularly the end with nick fury so it's cool to see that we have a lot developing this is covered in fury's big week the prelude comic to avengers yep it's an eight or nine issue comic book that kind of chronicles everything going on at the same time and what fury is doing in the background as we see him pop in and out of this movie as well so 
All right, guys, well, that, that gives us a little bit of a base to go from. Shall we jump straight into our review and discussion of Iron Man 2? Yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's do it. Kick it. All right, so this film starts with the villain's origin story. So it starts a bit darker. We get a voiceover from the end of Iron Man, the I'm Iron Man statement. Yeah. And this is building up Ivan Vanko. He eventually becomes the character we know as Whiplash in the film. He is one of our main villains here. He's played by Mickey Rourke. So Mickey Rourke's coming off of a very successful wrestler movie in 2008. Oh, so good. And this was a big get for Marvel Studios at the time. And I was quite excited kind of remembering back a bit as to who this guy was and what he did in The Wrestler and the fact that he was going to be a Marvel Cinematic Universe villain. A villain in itself that isn't quite a comic book villain. He's a, a bit of a combination of two characters. He's a combination of Crimson Dynamo and Whiplash. And that's kind of a naming convention thing being... Ivan Vanko or Dr. Vanko, as well as the ability to have like a suit that controls electricity and these mm -hmm. big whips. So they've taken two characters there and kind of melded them into one to make them a bit more appropriate, a bit more of a replica or an evil replica of what we have in Tony Stark. And that's what Marvel does a lot in their films is, and I spoke about it last time when we did Incredible Hulk and even Iron Man, is that they... They birth their villains out of the same technology as the heroes to avoid having to tell a lengthy storyline. Right. How are you guys feeling at this kind of first scene and as we go through this about Mickey Rourke's initial interpretation of Ivan Vanko and Whiplash? Is um <laughs> the first time I saw it, I liked it. Second time is is a little weird. Um, a lot of drinking going yeah. on there too. Actually, throughout this whole movie. There's a lot of drinking going on. Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah, yeah. So some kind of stereotypes going on there. <laughs> kind of, kind of weird. But um, for the most part, you know, it does a good job of explaining, like, you know, where this guy's coming from and what he feels towards the Stark family, right? Yeah. So instantly, you get the the idea of what he wants to do and 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 whatnot there. So yeah, it, it's not too too bad. It's it's pretty basic. We've seen it before. Pretty generic, right? I do like the fact that it's going over the scenes from the last Iron Man movie. Like it, it just, yeah. you know, you can really stick in Iron Man one and pop this in right after. You could you could maybe even skip the Hulk and pop that in, you know, not because I don't like the Hulk, just because yeah. like you really could just stick those two in yeah. as, as, yeah. as a franchise, right? Yeah. Kind of like Rogue One and A New Hope. Yeah. yeah. There, like, you ah, there, there you go. There you go. Star Wars. There you go. You're on it. You're on it. <laughs> um, my opinion, like it was a nice start. And if they continued down, down this path, I thought, you know, they could have done something really special. I thought this had the most opportunity to be like Marvel's best villain. And I feel like they, you know, um, they kind of left a little bit out. Like it left me a little bit wanting, like he did such a good job. I thought that I wanted more. And I kind of felt like there was pieces missing. Like it was like, okay, so he shows up here and he gives you like, okay, this backstory. I would have liked to learn a little bit more about maybe his father, him working alongside Howard. And then just showing like the dichotomy of Tony growing up in the U S and Ivan growing up in the Soviet union and then Russia and then just see them diverge and then um, show their differences and their similarities and then go that route. I thought that would have been a much more interesting uh, take on it as as opposed to just having this like generic like Russian bad guy that's just like, I must crush you. Like it was like Ivan Drago yeah, almost. Yeah, yeah, like, Rocky. Yeah, yeah. Like, it felt like a little bit like Ivan Drago. Like I was like, give me like more depth, more meat and potatoes. Like yeah. I felt like the, bo like, the uh, structure was there. Right. Did, did his accent work for you guys? Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. he plays like this eccentric Russian inventor type character. Yeah. Like he's yeah. as smart as Tony Stark. Yeah. Um, but I agree with you that there's something missing there. And I'm wondering if 
you look at that they had two villains in this kind of you have mm -hmm. justin hammer and you have ivan vanko mm -hmm. would it have worked better if you had to combine those two because you have the elements that you want mm -hmm. with tony stark and that competitive nature with justin hammer and then you also have the background and the legacy with ivan vanko so almost combining those characters i don't know if that exactly works but i see what you mean i mm -hmm. see there's elements from sam rockwell's justin hammer that are missing and there's elements from ivan vanko here that are missing that don't give you a complete full villain i feel like we have two kind of half right. villains here yeah. in this film and i think that both of them have their strengths but they're also weakened by the fact that almost they're competing for time as the main villain. Right. Mm -hmm. I think we kind of would have gotten the Jeff Bridges route again, though, too, right? Because he kind of, he wasn't yeah. as smart as Tony, but he's like the businessman trying to overthrow him, yeah. but he also took yeah. the suit as well. So it's kind of a tough line for them to walk there. Yeah. yeah. No, Tim brought up an interesting point. Like, that would have been really cool to see him be like, maybe like a Russian businessman that like built his fortune over in Russia and then, mm. then have him come over to like Monaco to try dethrone him or something. Like that I thought would have been like, pretty cool that's a neat idea that you brought up and that would have been cool yeah i think overall that he is i think for the at least for the first part of this film he serves the purpose like mm -hmm. if you look at one of the main themes of this film it's legacy right and yeah. this fits right into that like the legacy of anton vanko is the exact opposite right. of tony stark he believes yeah. that the starks are butchers and thieves and that he, that Howard Stark took everything that Anton, his father, did and used that for his own benefit to build his own legacy. Right. And it's almost like this revenge, jealousy type thing. And they're kind of battling out two different legacies, two different parts of the world that they grew up in. But basically, they're the same character the same person like he's they we go through this whole courtroom scene where tony explains no one else can build the arc reactor you see this in iron man one as well jeff bridges is demanding that his scientists build this miniaturized arc reactor yeah. and no one can do it. do it yeah. yeah and then they spend a whole sequence here very similar to the cave sequence where we get right. the origin of iron man in iron mm -hmm. man one we get a very similar sequence here with ivan vanko building that mini miniaturized arc reactor in a shithole with barely any supplies yeah. but he's able to produce something yeah um, no, I agree. Um, this might be a good time to bring up some of the stuff Mickey Rourke said when they interviewed him about the film. Definitely. I'll, I'll just bring this up briefly here. I still on paper, so I haven't, uh, <laughs> haven't fully transformed. Into no. Um, so they asked Mickey Rourke and I'm just going to read a bit of here. He said, you know, I'm not a Marvel fan. Once I did a movie for Marvel and they cut the whole goddamn thing out. When you bring it to the table, it's really disappointing when they cut things out. And then he says, um, I wanted to bring some uh other layers and colors to the character not just make this russian a complete murderous revenging bad guy and they allowed me to do that unfortunately the people at marvel just wanted a one-dimensional bad guy so most of the performance ended up on the floor and i guess he actually went to russia for about three months to work on his yeah. accent visited a jail yeah like he did a lot of work and i'd be pretty pissed off too if they cut like all that out of it and it kind of left me, you know, as I said, wanting more. Yeah. I mean, how much better would this film have done and would it have been if we had a competent villain in it? Wow, that's incredible! Actually, um, hearing that, yeah, because you know, coming off a of wrestler, this is this is, he was he was nominated, yeah, right, for his yeah. performance there. So obviously, he puts in his work and his effort to get the best performance out of himself. So to hear him doing that, yeah, that's absolutely incredible. And I think you know, when you hear stuff like that, it's like, well, why did we need so much Justin Hammer? Like, there's a lot of Sam Rockwell, right, yeah, mm -hmm. in, in this movie. Could have they not cut down or toned down some of his lines or some of his scenes to give us more of Whiplash? Because hearing that, I really wish we got to see. Yeah, more well, of that he kind even of stuff. specifies that it was a specific 
accent, a specific area of Russia that wow. he was doing. The wow. tattoos he picked yeah. were all very specific tattoos right. for the character. Just not fit. generic stuff. Yeah, it's, yeah, it fit and they had meaning behind them. It wasn't mm-hmm. just damaged on his yeah. forehead. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You're on our side now. Pop You're on board, our side. <laughs> I got a Marvel t-shirt over here for you. <laughs> Sorry, you know, that didn't win an Academy Award, you know. <laughs> Kevin Feige's smiling. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but I, I fully agree with this this whole conversation here is that we got like two half villains and i think mickey Rourke put the time and effort into this i still don't when we get towards the end here i don't see exactly where it could have gone it kind of spiraled towards the end it's almost like he could have been a villain that was again challenging the legacy of tony stark like he has a beautiful line where he's in the jail cell about making god bleed and people will mm-hmm. cease to believe i love that line i think that is absolutely fantastic so that fits into everything that's going on with tony in the courtroom saying no one could touch me i have all this technology it's yeah. my technology like there's a lot of that built into here so he fits that aspect of the plot maybe if he had gone away and just disappeared or something to that effect and they built that character up to a point to serve a purpose and then justin hammer takes over later on like he does in the film so i don't know exactly how they could have done that properly but i think we're all in agreement here that the villain is the weaker part here and it's because we don't get to spend enough time with either mickey rourke's whiplash or sam rockwell's justin hammer because he's another great character another great villain he was mm-hmm. up for iron man originally in iron man one and he was brought back because the director liked him so much in this role he, he really plays this poor man's tony stark yeah. really well He's got a lot of great dialogue in this opening courtroom scene. The back and forth between him and Tony is great. I think they have some of the best chemistry in this movie. And he's another character that is a legacy character from the comic books. He is a lot older in the comic books. And he's a competitor with Tony Stark on this military industrial complex level. And so I liked what they did with Justin Hammer to a degree. But I felt they both spiraled towards the end of the film. Yeah, with Hammer, he's he's a little inconsistent, inconsistent for me. I mean, sometimes he worked, and he he can go toe to toe with Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. at times, and sometimes his jokes were bang on, and they're working for me. And other times, it's just like we don't need this, you know. We we could clean this up a little bit. So, again, you know, going back to what we just mentioned before, I really do wish we got to see more Mickey work and less Justin Hammer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like for me, Hammer, I thought he worked. I love Sam Rockwell as an actor. Me and you were talking before we started uh, recording, just like his work in um, Green Mile and Moon. Charlie's Angels. Oh, he's in Charlie's yeah, Angels? Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah. I'll have to check it out. I think then. part two. Oh, nice. Yeah. Revenge of the Charlie. Yeah. No. <laughs> Uh, my only complaint with Hammer was he didn't seem very competent. Yeah. yeah. Like bumbling idiot. Yeah. yeah. How is he like this billionaire, like industrialist guy when like he can't even make a missile work? Like they hire him to arm up the war machine and right. then he has that like huge ex, the whole scene with the ex-wife, like this huge buildup. He's like, you know, this is like my piece de resistance. And then he gives it to the war machine and it just kind of like fizzles away. I was like, how is this guy, like, who's buying weapons from him? Yeah, it wasn't believable. Yeah, yeah. Like, I was like, he if he was, like, a struggling, like, weapon designer or something, I could believe it. Yeah. But he's supposed to be, like, number two. And, like, they call him in to the U.S. Senate to be, like, an expert on weapons. But yeah. as Tony said, like, I don't see an expert here. Yeah. And it's very true because he was an idiot with weapons. Like, yeah. You might as well just use a stick and a rock, and he would have been just as effective as he was with his gun. <laughs> like you could almost—I I don't want to say remove Sam Rockwell from this because I like that they built in the continuity from the comic books of Justin Hammer and having someone compete directly with Tony Stark is kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if you had done Ivan Vanko with a financier that eventually turned out to be the Ten Rings, 
So you don't oh. need someone feeding money into Vanko. Yeah. You just have him you know, building his suit and eventually building some sort of drones or something like that. Yeah. And eventually revealing that the Ten Rings are actually behind all of this. Boom. They've plucked Mickey Rourke or wow. Ivan Vanko out of Russia because they know of his legacy, put him into America, financed him, gave him the resources that Hammer does eventually give him. You tie into iron man one as well as you propel something forward for iron man three that fits into this overarching 10 rings arc like, i think that could have worked a bit better than having hammer in this that's a much more interesting that's film huge. Yeah. that's awesome yeah Shoot. and then it turns out to be an actor named trevor no i'm just kidding yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll eventually get to that we'll get to that one yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let's spin over to some of the fun scenes here we open to the origin story of our main villain. But then when we first see Tony Stark, it's at the Stark Expo. And I absolutely love this. I'm a huge fan of Disney, of Epcot and all this. And this feels like the World's Fair. This feels like Epcot Center. And Stark is on point here. He comes just flying out of that ship, one, that makes you think like he's in battle. Yeah. Yeah. And then he lands and he says, it's good to be back. I love dual meaning lines that are both in movie, yes. they make sense, as well as outside to the fans. This is yeah. Robert Downey Jr. saying, look, I'm here, I'm back. I'm one of the biggest movie stars on the planet. Oh, now. yeah. yeah. I'm here for the foreseeable future. <laughs> Just look at me. Yeah, yeah. And, and it totally makes sense, too, because the crowd there in the movie is going nuts. And in, in the real world, we're going nuts because there is kids around now with these Iron Man helmets and these repulsor hands and doing all those things, right? So this movie just plays off, plays off of that. Love it. Yeah. yeah. Did yeah. you guys catch the two um, cameos in the beginning? No. Uh, Olivia Munn? Oh, no. She oh, plays the reporter yeah. girl? Oh, she? Yeah, yeah. And, and Invisible Woman. Yeah, Kate Mara. Kate Mara's in there. Oh, yeah. I did catch her. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then when he says the line, do you come with the car? classic yeah. line from the simpsons i immediately <laughs> thought of the mr plow episode <laughs> this is this is a lot of fun here we have the acdc playing in the background that here. works yeah. it works a lot yeah. but did you find that the score in this and the, the use of the music wasn't near as good as it was in iron man i felt like yeah. almost this is this first part of this opening is great but then you don't get it until the end again yeah the score was a letdown yeah. for me throughout compared this to movie. iron man 1. oh yeah definitely i mean they gave us the rock and roll cool but the ACDC, yeah, right off the bat works, unlike Justice League, rock and roll. <laughs> but anyways, um, it, it works pretty well in this movie. But throughout, I was just like, oh, this score. I, I, again, um, Marvel kind of suffers from not having that that score, you know, that Hans Zim. Like, it's just... Yeah. There's no Iron Man it, theme. Right? Yeah. We should have an Iron Man theme. should have an Iron Man I theme. agree. Yeah. Like, it's the most popular character. Well, maybe besides Cap now. Yeah. But neither of them have a theme. Yeah. No. Yeah. They, they need, need some electric guitar or something. Like, you think, yeah. <laughs> well, no. I, I think, well, doesn't Cap have the one kind of cool score or is it the avenger score maybe it's the avenger, the avenger score. score is really I'm cool getting it mixed up with yeah. but they use it in the cat movies i think yeah don't they um, yeah, they, yeah they do kind of weave everything in and out now like yeah. a lot of the scores sound very similar now well, yeah so they're playing on the avenger score kind of in the latter half of the mcu here mm -hmm. but even going over to stars rebels which is a relatively somewhat confined tv show but each character in there has their own theme like yep. thrawn has his theme you That's know right. when he's coming vader has his theme mm -hmm. yeah. and these characters and like even man of steel like yeah. i called it in the wonder woman trail you hear his theme in the background yeah. there yeah so subtleties towards it wonder woman's got whatever theme. yeah she has her music going on <laughs> yeah oh yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah but these characters <laughs> need to have something that tells you that they're coming and acdc yeah. kind of is that for iron man mm -hmm. but they need something a bit more because like, I love when the score plays almost as an important part as some of the characters. Yeah. Yeah. And that is a big Star Wars thing yes. that I love about the, the films there. But Marvel does not have that, and it's unfortunate. Like, the Avengers scene, yeah, you kind of get it, but there's still nothing there that grabs you the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I was listening to this YouTube channel, and they were talking about the Marvel theme. 
um, themes, and he like asked people, "Can you you know hum a song from Star Wars? Hum a song from Jaws?" And he asked all these big movies. Now he said, "Can you hum a song from any Marvel movie?" And no one could do it. No. Yeah, and so it's, it's you know I agree. It's it, it definitely needs something. Yeah. Maybe Infinity War. Or Spidey, Spider Man. Well, I guess it's Sony Marvel, but Spider Man might have something up its sleeve. Yeah, yeah. I think we, we need something there. We need something yeah. to start grabbing us from that end because they do, do so well visually. They do so well with story. Now they need to bring a bit more of that that musical element to this. Yes. I think that'll elevate to again another plane for Marvel. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's all about uh, evolution and uh, evolving into the next thing. And I think if they do that, it would just make their films just that much better and yeah. that much more memorable. Exactly. Speaking about memorable films, what did you think of John Slattery's Howard Stark? in this kind of old-timey, Disney-like sort of video. Yeah, Walt well, Disney show. himself, eh? Yeah, it seems yeah. like Mickey Mouse is going to pop up or something. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I love stuff like that. Like, that was a, just a very obvious nod. Yeah. And yeah, the Epcot Center kind of in the background, this Carousel of Progress, which is a ride in Tomorrowland and Disneyland <laughs> that I always have loved. Even as a kid, it's like the dorkiest ride ever, but I, I freaking <laughs> love it. And that they're playing off so much here. And this is the whole expo idea I really like how they play this because then they reference it back in Captain America as well. This Stark Expo type thing, World's Fair. Like I think oh, it's yeah. a cool way to tie in Captain America to present day Iron Man. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm fascinated by that character. I really do like seeing you know this actor portray the older um, Stark, and then yeah. we also get the younger actor you know every now and then playing him. So I really think that's so cool. And they do a great job handling even to this day they've been handling that character so well with yeah. the older Stark, right? So was he Howard Stark in Captain America First Avenger? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's like the... He's the younger version. Yeah. Oh, Dominic okay. Cooper plays yeah, yeah. him. Yeah. He looks uh, a lot like Tony. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, very similar. He's got that little tiny pen, pencil <laughs> mustache. Yeah. Does the timeline add up? Because he would have been like, what, 20 in like 1940s, and then this takes place... 74 when we see him yeah. in that thing. So he, yeah, so he would have been like 50, 60. Yeah, you yeah. see him in Ant-Man 2, which yeah. is yeah. in the 50s. But he's a bit older, but then yeah. when we see him uh, in Civil War, his hair is like white. So he would be a bit older. I actually do think everything lines up yeah. properly. Yeah. So then Iron Man's about like, what, 50? 40s? 45, like 47, 40, or something like that. Yeah, in his 40s at some point. Yeah. 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 So it kind of lines up. I think there's a, it's a bit muddled. And he's quite young Close in, enough. in, um, in, in the Be- First Avenger. First yeah. Avenger. He's yeah. pretty young. Yeah. Only I would ask that nitpicking question. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, we're continuity masters. Yeah. <laughs> it matters. It matters. Unless it's the X-Men. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> and it's revealed pretty early on in this film that Tony does have a fatal flaw. And we always need one of these for the characters to kind of hang on. And it's that his body's being poisoned by the very thing that's keeping him alive. Which is kind of a cool concept. I do like what they did there is that he's so dependent on the arc reactor, but it's the one thing that's killing him. And this again plays into this whole legacy theme because he's trying to set himself up to have a legacy that he's proud of. He's trying to separate himself from his past, even from his father's legacy yep. about weapons manufacturing, weapons building, a theme that we see in Iron Man 1. This plays to that. The fact that he's giving away all his art and he's trying to make Pepper the CEO, he gives roadie kind of access to the iron man suit so he's setting himself up to die here which plays really well into the film i think one of the other aspects that they pull from demon in a bottle as we're speaking about it is the fact that the u.s government wants 
Tony to hand over his Iron Man suit. That's explored a little bit in the prelude comics as to what's gone on between the two of them and the fact that he's almost acting on his own. He's a bit reckless. He's not listening. He doesn't want to fall into the chain of command. He becomes what he calls himself a nuclear deterrent. He's privatized yes. world yes. peace. These I are love great that. lines. This court that. scene is awesome. Yes. This again, they just allowed Robert Downey Jr., I believe at least, to ad-lib this whole thing. <laughs> yeah, it comes fantastic. off that way. It's it's great, that whole court scene. Yeah, yeah and his interaction there with Justin Hammer, yes. Sam Rockwell, they play off each other nicely. They have Senator Stern in there too as well, which plays eventually into... Um, Hydra. Yeah. 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 Okay. So that's, that's pretty yeah. cool. They tie all that together there. And this is where we get the introduction of Rhodey. He's back. Looks kind a little of. different. Got <laughs> yeah. a haircut or something? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. A little shorter. A little shorter. Yeah. 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 Less, yeah. less thinner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hasn't been eating for the six months. He doesn't own his own record label anymore. No. <laughs> this is quite a, an obvious change here. And we discussed yeah. a bit in the past about how Terrence Howard was left out of this movie because of battles with money and he was paid the most in iron man he was the first to the the board when it comes to casting in iron man one and he was replaced with don Cheadle here marvel did have a tendency to replace people quite quickly earlier on in the cinematic universe here we saw it with edward norton we discussed that last time in the incredible hulk review so what did you think about marvel replacing terrence howard with don Cheadle? Yeah, you know, uh, when I first heard this news, I, I didn't really like it, to be honest. I, I, I Till this day, Don Cheadle is a far better actor than Terrence Howard, I believe. I think he's, yeah, he's a class actor. But the fit, I mean, every time I've been reading comic books or seen, seen the cartoons of War Machine and Iron Man, you know, Rhodey's always been the bigger kind of guy, military looking. And, you know, when we see um, Don Cheadle, even in the outfit at some points in the military gear, it's just sagging off of him. We, I'm just like, this, this, is, this isn't right. This isn't work for me. I mean, why did they even beef him up a little bit? He should have been hitting the gym or something. But his, his acting's great. But, you know, even in the court scene, as much as I like the court scene, Don Cheadle didn't really work for me even then. And maybe it's because I'm still trying to wrap my brains around the fact that this isn't Terrence Howard. Towards the end of the film, he works. And, you know, we get that great scene. I know I'm skipping here, but we get that great scene in um, Age of Ultron, that party scene. And Don Cheadle's great yeah. there. Like, yeah. he really works for me now. But at first in this movie is a tough time adjusting to his uh, his take on War Machine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I thought he did a decent job. He doesn't really have, like, um, that much to do outside the suit. But when he's outside the suit, like, you bring up a good point of him being smaller and, like, less um, bulky as Terrence Howard. And I could totally see that now. I didn't really notice it when I was watching it. But now I'm going to hate this every time I watch it because of Utro. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> uh, I, I, think he, I like his banter with Tony Stark, but then Terrence Howard had good one. I keep calling him Tony Stark. Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> They're, They're one, one of the same. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, Terrence Howard had good banter with him as well. But, you know, as I said, as he, you know, takes on this role and does more movies, he kind of owns the role. Yes. So if they were to switch back, it would be very, like, weird now. But, oh, yeah. 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 But I think they've done, like, I think he's done an admirable job and... I think you know. I think he nails the role, and you finally get to see him in the suit, which was really cool. And yeah. uh, to me, that that was the best part of the film was their interaction. That's what I liked the most. See, that's interesting because I felt that in this film, their chemistry wasn't that good. They felt awkward. Where you go back and look at Iron Man One when they're up in the plane together, and right. they seem like they're buddies. They'll, they'll party together, yeah. they'll hang yeah. out, but they also work pretty hard together. Right. Yeah. And I just never felt that they had this this chemistry that him and Terrence Howard had in the first film. Yeah. I agree with you later on. Don Cheadle owns this role. That's yeah. his role now forever. Yeah. Right. And he fits the universe. But I think this movie, this, this transitional movie, that you don't see as much of that chemistry that I would have liked. You don't feel like these guys have been buddies that have got some, hung out in the past, right. got drunk 
Vegas, whatever. I don't get that from Don Cheadle here. He seems a bit more standoffish. Yeah. A bit more militaristic in his portrayal where we saw Terrence Howard like that, but he shed that when he was with Robert Downey right. Jr. And you see that interaction a lot more. And I think later on, like you guys said, it does get better. But this film, it always feels like he's at an arm's length from Tony. And that's kind of the character in the film. Mm -hmm. But I never felt like they were buddy-buddy the same way. They felt almost like colleagues that really didn't see each other on the weekends ever. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I totally get that. It's it's really not even until even after this the, the party scene yeah. when they fight, when they start kind of gelling together a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So I should have mentioned like my favorite parts is when they're both in the suits, not yeah. when they're in civilian attire, because I think their fight at the party was awesome. And then they're battling the robots at the end was awesome. But I think part of that, um, you know, that standoffish bit might be partly because the U.S. government is kind of pitting them against each other. Yeah. You know, so maybe like uh, Robert Downey Jr., Tony Stark is a little bit annoyed at Rhodey because like Rhodey's working for the government. He right. steals his suit, brings it to the U.S. government. So, you know, maybe at this point in time, they started off buddy-buddy, but then their pals are starting to diverge because Rhodey's the military guy. So he's going to listen to the U.S. government, you know, yeah. whereas Tony's kind of the rebel where he's like, I'll do it myself. Yeah, well, even in Iron Man 1, Terrence Howard, like the, the take that he had there, like even the times when Tony was running around in the suit, he was like, clear the airways for him and all this kind yeah. of stuff. So he's kind of making or being a bit more lenient for Tony because he is kind of friends with him. And yeah. in this, it, it just didn't feel like that. I agree that, that Don Cheadle or Rhodey was taking his orders and doing them by the book. But I don't feel like Rhodey would be like that. I think he'd yeah. be giving more heads up. And I get that he was hurt by Tony because of the way he was acting in the party scene. And yeah. that evolves quite nicely there. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I feel like especially in this court scene, like they do take some of his lines out of context and all that. And he does specifically state that. But I feel like there wasn't enough there that gives me that impression that they were like best friends. Yes. Yeah. It's missing. Yeah, it is. And one thing this, that this movie does, too, is it has a tendency to bounce around a lot. So the editing isn't as smooth, I think, as we go in Iron Man 1. We do go to Malibu. We're in, in the court scenes. We're with Justin Hammer. We're in Moscow. We're in Monaco. We're kind of all over the yeah. place. And there's not a lot of cohesive scenes here. I felt that if they took out some of that editing and bumped some of these scenes up together, some of the um, scenes in Malibu in particular, I felt this would have been a bit more of a smoother ride. I don't think it detracts from the movie too much, but I felt myself thinking like, whoa, like in Iron Man, we were in three locations. Yeah. We're in the cave, we're yeah. in his workshop, and we're in the skies with Iron Man. Right. And this, you're all over the place. Different scenes, different people, different settings. So I felt that it made it feel more like an international movie. That's and true. maybe that's what they're trying to get at. But at the same time, I just felt a little bit kind of thrown off because I was like, okay, I want to focus in on this character. Then boom, we're back in Malibu. And then boom, we're back with Rhodey. And then so there's a lot going on kind of in the background of this movie instead of having it a bit more cohesive like we got in Iron Man 1. Yeah, I, I get that too. A little bit of an international Iron Man there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do you think that has anything to do with a bigger budget? I don't know what the budgets for Iron Man 1 and Iron Man 2 were, but I assume Iron Man 2 had maybe double the budget. It was probably quite large. Yeah, that yeah. may have factored into it as well. Uh, but they're trying to do a lot with this story at the same mm -hmm. time. And I think maybe the international thing was trying to play into that. Mm -hmm. And that did kind of pay off in dividends in the international market as well. Yeah. Well, going off their budget, they certainly cut the budget on special effects. Because in this movie, <laughs> the, the effects, you, you and I spoke about this, the effects aren't as up there with Iron no. Man 1. Yeah. They're, they're more polished. They just look better. Yeah, this yeah. one seemed more like the used CGI, whereas Iron Man 1 felt like almost practical effects to some degree you know like the iron man suit and him flying around looks awesome to this day yeah whereas this one here looks like less well well it's interesting we'll discuss this a bit because i want to get into some of the battles first cool. but i think i have a thought on why that is and it's actually they probably used more practical 
in this oh. one and less CGI or kind of a more of a layering type where they have practical and CGI and it just doesn't look as smooth. I think okay. that's a great point to hit off of once we get into the first couple battle scenes because yeah. I think doing a nice compare and contrast to Iron Man 1 is important because Iron Man 1 still to this day, the, the graphics there, flawless. Awesome. This, well I agree done. with you, looks like a video game from time to time. Yeah. yeah. And not, not a 2010 video game. Yeah, like a yeah. Nintendo 64. <laughs> Never knocked the Nintendo 64, Troy. You know how Sega many hours Saturn. I played NWO versus WCW? I played that oh, well. man. That's awesome. Sting, man. <laughs> oh, no way. It's all about Goldberg. Fuck. <laughs> so we're getting back to, to Malibu here in the movie. You know, we're revisiting Stark's Workshop, which is the, one of the best sets, I think, in this film. And I love seeing the suits lining the back wall, and it gets bigger and bigger as we yeah. get to Iron yeah. Man 3. Like, this is so good. This is classic Iron Man Workshop here. This is kind of the time when we get the introduction of Natasha Romanoff, Black Widow. This is an Avenger, someone that we're going to see quite prominently featured in a lot of MCU films going forward. And Just not her solo film. Yeah, not yet. <laughs> we'll see how this goes to Michelle over to the house. Let's hope, let's yeah. hope. <laughs> but he's Tony's training here in his, his gym. We get the reappearance of Happy Hogan here, who yep. for me is a welcomed character. He doesn't have much to do in this film. But I do like John Favreau kind of reinserting himself into the movie here. Always interacting with the attractive ladies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, what are your thoughts here of the inclusion of Black World? This is kind of the MCU or Marvel's first take at inserting a character that's going to be featured later on into moving and giving her not so much an origin story, but at least her first introduction into the film universe. Yeah, you know, it, it's crazy. Uh, going back to this movie, I totally forgot that Happy Hogan was even in this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's something else. But yeah, Black Widow was introduced and it, it wasn't bad. It, you know, the scene kind of reminded me a bit of uh, the blob scene in X-Men oh. Origins for a second. I was like, oh no, are they going to go that route? But thank God they they didn't. But um, it was cool. It worked for me. It's a nice little introduction. She's come a long way. Oh yeah. Black yeah. Widow. Um, not just even the acting wise, but the, the fight choreography too. Like it's it's... So far gone from what it used to be, going back to Iron Man 2 here. But for the most part, it, it works for me. It wasn't a bad little scene. Yeah, no, I think definitely she's like definitely improved as a character. At first, she started off as nothing more than eye candy. Yeah. And then she kind of showed hints of like being something more. And you get that um, when she takes down Happy Hogan in the ring. But I thought the scene was a little bit weird because Tony's trying to like hit on her and he's like, oh, step into my church or whatever. Yeah. And then he leaves. Yeah. It's like, what? Like, I th if you're trying to hit on her, like you're doing a very poor job. I mean, I know you're Iron Man and like you probably don't have to try very hard. But just try a little bit. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think yeah, the eye candy thing, definitely. But yeah. that's the character. She's playing a role. Yeah. And that's addressed in one of the prelude comic books, how she kind of got there, how yes. she's reluctant to do this. So I, I agree. I think it's a great introduction for a character. And I'm a, a big fan of movies using other solo movies to introduce characters so you don't waste time on it later on. Yes. We knew who this character was coming into uh, Avengers already. We didn't have to worry about that. You get a little bit of Hawkeye and Thor, so they kind of try to insert that. So you're familiar to a degree with the character. And so you're not questioning, oh, what's she doing? Who's she all about? Like, I don't know who Black Widow is. Everyone going into Avengers knew who Black Widow was, either because of this movie or because they went and did some research and said, who was this character in this mm -hmm. film? So right. I like how they did that. They introduced, this is a kind of our, again, our onset of universe building in this film. We had Coulson and S.H.I.E.L.D. in Iron Man 1. We got a little bit of stuff in Incredible Hulk. And this is like, here you go. This is our first piece to this much larger puzzle that we're going to get a little later on in the film. It's kind of interesting you bring that point up because Marvel was the first to do this. I mean, if you look at other franchises, we'll, we'll take Star Wars, for example. We all like Star Wars. Of yes. Course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, so imagine if before we got Star Wars, A New Hope, 
They had a Han, or yeah, a Han Solo film, a Luke Skywalker film, a Chewie film, a droid film, and then you combined it all into A New Hope. Like that's kind of what Marvel did. Whereas other franchises before Marvel, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Indiana Jones, like pretty much every other franchise, did it where they introduced them all in one movie. It's kind of an interesting take where now like we've come to the point where we kind of expect that for franchises. Does that make any sense? Like, does that make sense where it's like, it seems like that's the only way to do things, but Marvel's kind of went off on their own and did it that way. And now it's seen as like the gold standard, you know, like you have to do that. Like if Star Wars came out today, you would have like five solo films and then like the combined New Hope. See, I don't know if you would, like I've never really looked at it in a compare and contrast to, to Star Wars because they're kind of almost doing it backwards where they have this universe and then they're building backwards the origin mm-hmm. stories in these kind of... Like um, the Han Solo yeah, the Han Solo yeah. 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 stories here. But I'd agree with you that we almost expect these characters to be something or at least to have them referenced in previous movies. I think it works a little better with comic book movies because the individuals have their own universes to a degree. Mm-hmm. Iron Man has his own universe with his own, his own rose gallery. Batman does, Wonder Woman does, mm-hmm. Cap does. So if you're to build a movie around Luke Skywalker, there's not much to do there, at least on the onset of it. You could probably do it a little later on if you really wanted to. So it comes down, I think, to the character and how you want to build these characters up. And, you know, for all the flaws of Batman versus Superman, I do like the aspect that they tried, and they tried really hard. I don't think it really <laughs> succeeded, but they tried to build something leveraging a single solo project. Mm-hmm. And I think done right and i think it's done right here and it's done right i think more with black panther and civil war is that you can leverage another movie introduce a character that does get picked up later on it's all about getting the audience thinking and introducing these characters like black panther featured in civil war and he was a big part of it but he wasn't one of the main characters and now you got kids running around with black panther masks mm-hmm. everyone's so stoked for this movie because they know who the character is yeah. Yeah. and that's really important when you're universe building is getting people familiar with the characters you're going to rely on going into other movies yeah. yeah and so yeah i think there's benefits to it and there's ways to do it properly and there's ways to, that don't actually work and it all depends on how it's executed here. It's I think it's a little more subtle here than it is in other places, and I think that works for the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's cool. I, you know, I guess Marvel's been doing it, you know, for a while. With we go back to the comic books, right? I mean, Hulk versus Wolverine. That's yeah. when mm-hmm. we first, you know, got a grasp on Wolverine, or yeah. you know, Fantastic Four versus um, Magneto. You know, all these kind of things oh, like these characters were first kind of popped into, and and you, you know, you like this character, and you just you just go with it. So I think Marvel's been doing it for a while. They know what they're doing, yeah, because yeah. they've been doing it for so long. Yeah. 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 Not to derail this, right? You don't have to add this, but uh, Wonder Woman, Batman v Superman. I mean, that film is going to blow up. And if Wonder Woman wasn't as good as she was in Batman v Superman, like if you just like threw out this Wonder Woman film without her in that, it would have made like half. She's in the public consciousness now. Yeah. Like people know who she is and they're expecting something. They're attached to the Mm -hmm. actress. They're attached to the character to a degree. They're familiar with it. That's the important thing about doing it in these films. And I think, like I said, if it's done subtly and if it's executed properly, it can work very well. And it probably will pay off in dividends for Wonder Woman. Yeah. So, I mean, it is a good idea to like plant these seeds because, you know, you wait a year or two, they just blossom, baby. Oh, yeah. Boom. Yeah. So we're about 30 minutes into this film already, and we've yet to really see a true action sequence. That's right. So that's a long time to keep, like, we had Iron Man introduced right at the start in his suit, but not fighting. We had a lot of fighting in Iron Man 1, I felt. Like, a lot of in-suit, you know, running around in the heads-up display. We don't have that yet, and we don't really get that until we end up in Monaco here, which is kind of a cool setting. 
And we do have the, the race car. We have Tony Stark being quite reckless because he knows he's going to die. <laughs> mm-hmm. So he goes and jumps in the car, pisses the dude off. <laughs> kind of random. Yeah, yeah like who would ever work with uh, Stark Motors again, eh? Be like, oh yeah, the owner's just going to come and kick you out before the Monaco Grand Prix. <laughs> I'm quite certain that they would not allow him into the car. They were not a train driver. Sure. <laughs> yeah. 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 It would have been cool if he had his Iron Man suit and he was like racing the cars in that. Yeah, that'd be pretty neat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this is when we get Ivan Vanko finally revealing himself as Whiplash. This is a pretty cool action sequence. He kind of walks out onto the, the racetrack, starts slicing and cool. dicing cars here. <laughs> we get Happy Hogan and Gwyneth Paltrow coming in, that beautiful Phantom Rolls Royce, yeah. <laughs> crashing it up a few times. Yeah. <laughs> what are you guys' thoughts on this first big action set piece in the Iron Man 2? Like, it looked kind of cool with him like slashing the cars up, as you said. But there's so many, like, as I was watching it, I was like, no one has a gun to shoot this guy. Like, he's just, like, walking on to the racetrack, and people are just, like, swerving. And I'm like, ah, I, I mean, I know this is Europe, okay? Like, if this was a NASCAR race, he would have been dead, like, a long time ago. <laughs> like, it was cool seeing him, like, use his powers. But, like, also, how did he not, like, crush his kneecaps when the car, like, rams into him nah. on, like, the <laughs> concrete thing? I was like, man, the dude would never be able to walk again. And it's, like, several times, and he's just like, ah. Like, <laughs> did he have any, like, uh, maybe he had, like, a suit underneath. Did he? No, I just kind of had the, the clamp chest piece yeah. that ran yeah. the power and all that little arc reactor. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, the, those those scenes, I mean, I know they're nitpicks that kind of, like, bug me, but for, for the most part, it worked as, like, an introduction. And as you said, it's a line right out of the Infinity event, you know, that Thor utters. Like, if you can show God bleed, then God ceases to exist or yeah. something like that. Yeah, people um, will cease to believe. Yeah, exactly. And, like, he mentions that, and that's kind of his intention, and he succeeds with yeah. uh, what he does trying to you know bloody up tony it almost seems like a suicide mission to the yes yeah like he walks out that his only intent is to show that one he has an arc reactor and two he can make iron man bleed that's right yeah. like and even if that was all that we got of the character maybe that would have worked yeah. i don't know yeah this scene was fantastic at the time especially even to this day it held up the effects were great he just comes into that that racetrack just fearless and he's looking to kill you know, and I thought those effects were great. And Tony, you know, go back a couple episodes. It might have been on the Nerd Room. I mentioned I, I, I had my eye for a long time on this Tony Iron Man figure when he has the suitcase and it, and it came with it. And he does it in this in this movie. And I was blown away when he did this. And the suit looked great. It was sleek. It was, this was mm-hmm. some of the best effects they used all around in this movie, I think, for this point. And, you know, it started off so serious, but it's also kind of funny, too. You know, when Hogan and, and Pepper try to ram him yeah. in the car, you know, and... Um, it, it was just great. Some of the best fight choreography too in this movie. I, I really like this scene yeah. even to this day. That suitcase armor is still to this day probably close to my favorite armor. It's so cool. It's pretty yeah. cool, yeah. yeah. And the way it jams on and it's yeah. just a completely yeah. different color than we're used to getting up. This like red and gold, silver and red. Like yeah. it's different. It's and I different. love the effects, yeah. Oh, best effects of the film i think oh yeah for sure yeah. And then you see these cars flying you know yeah. and, and yeah. whiplash is just looking fierce this whole scene i i really loved what they did there yeah, yeah. and he kind of crawls into his electromagnetic thing or whatever the hell it is and yeah. yeah i thought that was cool like it, it ends pretty quick mm-hmm. and but again that that's what makes me think that when ivan's doing this this he has one purpose to show the world that he has the arc reactor and to make tony bleed or to show that he is not invincible as he claims to be. Right, right. right. Pun intended there, the invincible army. Oh, yeah. there you go. I like that. There you go. <laughs> He's not as ultimate. No, wait, wrong. No, no. You go either international or, or you go to invincible. <laughs> oh, someday, someday. <laughs> it's a thought that counts. That's what my mom said. <laughs> 
Well, Vanko is quickly collected up here by the Monaco police. And he ends up in jail where Tony does do a little bit of interrogation. And we get a little bit of exposition here that describes a bit of the Vanko Stark family histories, which I like kind of how they do this. They showed a little bit more of the character that Mickey Rourke's trying to portray. The accent's great in there, how he talks. He shows off that he is smart as well. He kind of talking to Tony about the palladium and the chest. Right. And so there's a lot building there. And the, the kind of the give and take between the two is, is quite good. He's very cold towards him. Right. But I think the scene works about developing some sort of interaction or a connection between the two families. I thought that was well done. And I like that aspect of it. Again, coming back to this this theme of legacy, it fits into that really well. Yeah, I mean, we forgot the uh, most important cameo of the Monaco scene. Elon Musk. Elon Musk, yeah. I was watching, I was like, really, he's in here? That was pretty cool. Yeah, he's the owner of Tesla and SpaceX and all this. Like, he's like the real life Tony Stark. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. And he, is he in the bar there with, uh, with Tony? Yeah, and yeah, yeah he kind of runs into him, yeah. Well, yeah. Which was another good scene, too, between Tony and Hammer, how yeah. Tony just dismisses him. That was, oh, that was yeah. great as well. Yeah, and then yeah. Hammer's like, hey, say fromage. <laughs> Again, the cheap jokes. And he's going to do that interview with Vanity Fair. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm doing the spread. And oh, like, yeah. I just spread on her earlier. Yeah, because yeah. she was in part one there. Yeah, right? yeah. Pepper's like, oh, I hate you, Tony, so much. <laughs> And then a well-executed escape occurs where that we do eventually find out that is orchestrated by Justin Hammer to get Anton, I keep calling him Anton, to get <laughs> Ivan Vanko. Just call him Drago. Yeah, <laughs> out of jail and to actually utilize him to basically defeat Tony Stark. And I think this is when the two characters start to fall apart. Yes. You start to see the motivation of Justin Hammer come through as just being like, really jealous like he yeah. wants to defeat tony stark he wants to ruin i'm gonna come back to this his legacy to a degree yeah. but it doesn't have the same weight behind it as ivan's revenge does like i think it's a bit muddled there and i think that like i said this 10 rings thing would have been a bit more appropriate they yank him out of jail they finance him they use him so it still does fit into this overall theme of legacy but i think that execution wise it would have made more sense for the overall Iron Man, Tony Stark arc, as opposed to whatever they're trying to kind of build quickly in this film. So, you know, coming off after he gets rescued, he gets um, flown in by Justin Hammer. Yeah. Hammer time. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you like that scene when he's there and then uh, he's feeding him all like the fancy food and then he's like, you know, my guest, you know, bring me my guest. And then Ivan's like, I want my bird. I want my bird. <laughs> <laughs> what was up with his bird? That went nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> Quite certain that was just Mickey Rourke being like, I'm going to add this really weird element, this eccentric <laughs> element to this character. Yeah. I'm just going to go with it. Yeah, it went nowhere. I nowhere. think it was just to show that he's a weirdo. Yeah. I thought like maybe like he'd have some sort of connection where like maybe when he was a kid or something he got this bird, I, bird. Have, I have no idea yeah yeah factors into the world, like howard actually gave it to anton oh yeah that, that would have been smart you know, or something. <laughs> i don't know and then marvel studios smart up and they're like okay so with falcon he's not gonna have that relationship yeah. <laughs> he's gonna be a robot <laughs> missed opportunity marvel yeah i wanted falcon that talks to birds damn it i got ant-man that talks to ants yeah. spider-man that talks to spiders there you go Falcon's I want my better. Yeah. <laughs> Threw that up on Twitter for you there. <laughs> so Hammer's grand plan here is to use Ivan, his his intelligence and his capabilities to build himself uh, Hammer drones, the drones that can compete with Tony Stark's Iron Man and drones that will get him in the Pentagon, as he says, for the next 25 years. He's trying to get a contract with the Pentagon, with the U.S. military. And again, this is directly out of Demon in a Bottle here, this whole competitive thing that... Justin Hammer loses out on a contract to the government or to some solar panel thing or whatever. 
and this is where his revenge plot starts. So you kind of see nice elements of there weaved into this from that storyline and using Ivan, sure, it's fine. And I, again, like I said, this is where everything kind of starts to fall apart when we get yeah. towards this third act of the film with the villains here. But this is somewhat of a believable stuff. This is still okay. I think they're still going in the right direction with the villains. It's just Justin Hammer as a financier for Ivan Vanko. John Bette. Yeah. <laughs> 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 now I spoke quite a bit about Demon of Blood. I kind of summarized at the top end about what elements are built into this film from that storyline. And we do, like I said, get a Demon in a Bottle light version here, as much as I think Marvel was happy to use. And this is in Tony Stark's part. He's come back from Monaco. He's feeling down. He's he's recognized that he's only got a few days to live. He kind of has a bit of a speech to Black Widow there about, you know, what would you do? Well, who would you spend your time with? All these type of things. And then we go into this party scene and we see him all pissed up in the Iron Man. <laughs> literally. <armor. laughs> yes, literally pissed up. This is, I think, a bit of a strange scene. I don't know if it particularly fits. If you look at the deleted scenes for this movie, there's a lot more of this him kind of being drunk, obnoxious, a bit of a dick to Pepper that they've cut out of the film. And I think appropriately because it doesn't make Tony seem sympathetic. They spent a lot of the film trying to make you feel kind of sorry for him because he's dying. He's trying to make the right sacrifices and then he kind of swings sideways and almost has like this mental break yeah and kind of you know he pisses off roadie he pisses off pepper he's all drunk in the suit kind of misusing it too here he said that he's america's or the world's protector and here he is in a party which with a bunch of scanty clad women <laughs> shooting at his repulsor rays yeah. off. yeah yeah so it was kind of a weird scene but it does give us a really interesting fight between him and war machine which is actually called out in the fight itself yeah 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 yeah, <laughs> this scene didn't age well for me. This scene didn't work. You know, I, I, again, when I first saw this movie, liked it. Second time around now. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't appreciate it. I, I didn't like him in the suit being wasted. It just looked off. I mean, if he had, you know, maybe the arm or the legs going on and, and the rest of him in civilian clothes, cool. That would have worked. But just seeing him full out in the Iron Man costume with the, with the helmet back, it just looked silly. It didn't work for me. Even the fight scene between him and Rhodey was kind of kind of off djm in the background you know doing his thing whatever but it just i, I wish they kind of went more of the the asshole route that um that uh, christian bale's batman did in batman begins when oh, okay. he, he pretends to be drunk and he kicks out all of his guests yeah. Kind of, yeah i wish they went more of that kind of route and a little more you know angry towards the, these these people are just hanging out with him for his money as opposed to him you know, just getting pissed drunk and just looking like an idiot. I didn't really like that scene at all. It's actually, I think, one of the worst scenes in the movie. For it's me. interesting yeah. that you bring up about him being in more civvies. There's mm -hmm. a deleted scene with him and Black Widow where she's wearing just the arm. Really? Like okay. Just the hand oh. repulsor ray. Cool. I think that would have worked better. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just in the repulsor ray with this. And he, we see him, and I think, in Iron Man 3, three yeah. like that. Yeah. And there's a scene in Age of Ultron where he just has the the hand. Yeah. Trying to lift on. the hammer. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That like, would have been way better. That would have yeah. made more yeah. sense. Like, yeah. I agree with you. And then, wait, let's get to the next thing, because I think I know exactly what the issue is <laughs> nice. with the um, the suits and that, him being in it and showing his face. Yes. It doesn't work for me. What did you think of this? Uh, yeah, I didn't like the party scene. I thought they went a little bit too far. Um, but I did like the fight. I thought it was cool when he takes the dumbbells and he hits... Like, they had some interesting concepts where, you know, they use the fire, they use the weight bench. I don't know why Iron Man needs a weight bench. He has his suit, but uh, that's a different story. I thought that was cool. And then when they, like, both shoot the plasma rays and then it, like, makes that kind of explosion. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was cool. And that, that worked for me. That was my favorite part of the film. Yeah, that factors into later on the film. That's a bit of, you know, foreshadowing yeah. or yes. teamwork they eventually do. So it works for the film. The fight itself, I agree, 
it's okay. Mm-hmm. I, it's not really what I want to be. I don't like the music it was set yeah. to. It was a bit off. Yeah. But we do get kind of a conclusion here where Rhodey steals effectively the Mark II, the yep. War Machine armor, and it's it's a I guess a good way to get the the armor out of there. You kind of clue in a bit that Tony again let Rhodey into the suit, yep. so it builds a little bit of that that trust aspect. It kind of puts a little rift between the two, which is nice to see them come back together later on in the movie right. but again it's okay you know we still haven't got this like that that monaco scene was great but it was short i still haven't got kind of this epic iron man fight scene yet and we're almost an hour into the film at this point wow yeah yeah this film is just one big giant tease <laughs> <laughs> and actually the hour into the film here is when we get a bit of a you know we're putting on the brakes here for the iron man story and we're going to switch gears over into universe building. This is where we get the shield events occur and we get the introduction of a full talking and a full interacting Samuel Jackson as Nick Fury, the reveal that Natasha Romanoff is actually Black Widow and Agents of Shield. Personally, I really like these scenes. I think they do a lot for what we eventually see in Avengers. And seeing Sam Jackson and Robert Downey Jr. riff on each other and the eventual reveal that there's a bit more to Howard Stark's history, there's a lot of that universe building there, and I think it's executed properly. And it's only like five minutes of the film, of a a two-and-a-half-hour film that we actually get this universe building occurring. So I think it's executed quite well. What are you guys' thoughts on how S.H.I.E.L.D. factors into Iron Man 2 here? And does it weigh down this movie? Uh, I don't think so. Like, as you said, it's just a small part. Um, It was kind of unnecessary. Like, it didn't add anything to the film, but it added so much to the larger universe that I can forgive it. You know, because we're fans of this whole MCU universe. And, you know, it's such an integral part. And it seeds, as we said, you know, stuff that we'll see again in two, three movies down the road. Um, So I didn't mind it. Like, as I said, it was kind of pointless when they're like, you must stay and, like, work on this. And then he just leaves anyways. (laughs) Like, I was like, what? But, uh whatever like it was so minor like it didn't have anything to do with the main like ending or the villain or anything like that so yeah whatever yeah like it is a necessary evil i guess yeah it kind of factors into this whole i'm developing a new element type thing because he gives him the old shield box and you do see him become a bit more sympathetic towards his father because fury starts to tell the story of howard stark about how he is actually a founding member of shield yeah. and we get the video a little later on about how Howard's actual legacy is Tony rather than what he left him behind. So I think to a degree it does stand out a bit, but it does refactor into the movie, I think, when it comes to building this whole element that eventually does save his life and repower the Iron Man suit. So I think it's somewhat organically done. Like it doesn't feel as jarring as I remember it being or as I remember people expressing. Like people are like, this movie is just clamored down by universe building and all this. It's not in here. I do not see it because this is our biggest scene. I agree that it's a bit jarring when we go from party sequence, fight sequence, a big Iron Man movie into something different. It really slows the pace down here. But it's it's a welcome pace change, I think, and I love the universe building that they do here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it did bother me. I'm with you guys. I I liked it again. Going back to the the last you know rave scene or whatever that happened. Um, again, I just wish he wasn't in his costume because it just looks kind of weird when you have like these three superheroes all like seen in a diner, which is kind of weird. And <laughs> it's he has like this big that's how it should have ended. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. Awesome. yeah, awesome. He yeah. must have got his idea from that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's exactly it. But um, besides that, yeah, I think the scene works. And again, like, there's not that bad setup in this, in this movie. Like, I, I yeah, again, I'm, I'm with you. I don't understand the complaints geared towards that. So, 
I mean, this was the first film universe that it was building, so maybe people just weren't used to it, and now we see it with every film franchise. You know, every franchise is trying to universe build, so we as a modern audience kind of come to expect that, whether we're going to see King Kong or we're going to see a monster, like the Mummy movie will have that. So it's just like become a part of modern uh, franchise cinema. Yeah, and it's interesting that you say about now we understand it yeah. looking yeah. back on this i've enjoyed this a lot more i don't really remember what my reaction was the first time mm-hmm. i think i was probably excited because i was like oh my god they're doing this they're building <laughs> yeah. this this is awesome yeah but for uh, you know general audiences they just didn't maybe get it at this point in time they felt that it was a bit of a shift in tone that maybe at a point where you did have this big rift between Rody and tony and yeah. a lot was going on it just shifts really quick because he's just hanging up in that donut. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah. kind of weird. <laughs> it's like that. the Simpsons or right. something. Yeah. He was at Lard Lad Donuts. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this eventually leads to one of my favorite sequences in the film. It's when we get back into Tony's workshop. He He's realized through watching these videos that his father has left him something embedded in the World's Fair kind of model there. I think this is cool. It's a bit contrived and it's a bit convenient. Yeah. That he's able to see this and his father just because of the time, whatever. Yeah. I like the sequence they do for building, like how he kind of does the, the mesh around it, the digital mesh, pulls it up. Oh, that's I, cool. I yeah. love the graphics in this one. He's And this is all through Iron Man. It's yeah. like the technology he's been in stuff. He's pulling, he's talking to Jarvis. Yeah. He's in the workshop. This is like from Iron Man, one of my favorite set pieces was a workshop. And we're back in it now. I'm loving what they're doing here. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great scene. And, and of course, you know, um, Agent Carlson comes up there and he's like, oh, yeah. brings out the shield yeah. and he's like, perfect, puts it in there, checks it out, bam, leveled. Perfect. Yeah. I'm, like, what? Like, I remember when I saw it, I was like, really? Like, that's Cap Shield, you know? Yeah. It, it, and again, it plays into um, Agent Carlson's fanboyism over, yep. over, over Cap, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, and it makes sense that it's there because it's Howard that gives the shield in New, or New Avengers, yeah, first, in Avenger. first Avenger, yes. yeah. to cap so yeah. it's pretty cool how they've linked all of that together and yeah. kind of foreshadowing that a bit in iron man 2 for what's going to happen a year later in captain america first avenger what That's was great. going on with that shield it looked like it was like half disassembled or something I don't plasticky know. almost yeah. right it's kind of weird <laughs> they <laughs> hadn't made the big budget money yet so they couldn't give like the nice shield to cap it almost looked like a prototype or something that they were yeah. building yeah. yeah yeah but again you know colson fanboy yeah yeah, yeah. So great. it's great i it's love awesome. that scene and yeah i'm always a fan of seeing you know tony just go at it and like tinker yeah with things. i think that's, <laughs> that's what he's in his zone that's yeah. what he's in his element right yeah. yeah wearing the uh tank top and just nope. hammering it stuff. <laughs> he's the bullet right yeah the bullet and the, and the goggles yeah, yeah. <laughs> the like cartoon the theme from the cartoon yeah, yeah. i love that yeah <laughs> great theme song yeah we, we go from one man tinkering his workshop to another man doing almost the exact same thing and that's justin hammer so he finally has his big sequence with roadie and they're trying to arm up war machine here yeah. they're kind of giving him the big turret gun all this the big bulky war machine we're used to seeing yeah this scene i kind of like it. Mm-hmm. it it's a bit goofy yeah. sam rockwell has a lot of really strange lines yeah. but yeah. it works with his delivery and it works with this character these but i know yeah. i said i'm not a huge fan of exactly what they've done with the character i think that they could have done something different and it would have worked but right. this scene here it's fun yeah i like it sam rockwell is just spin out these one-liners they make sense coming from this goofball of a character yeah this poor man tony stark but i kind of like this and going down to the ex-wife and that factors in later <laughs> it's a it's a nice lighter scene as we're getting ready to do a little more intense movie watching kind of going forward in the film here yeah what, what did you think about that scene i thought it was pretty funny like yeah. i just love sam rockwell i think he could do anything yeah 
but as I said, it kind of you know he's so incompetent with his like ex-wife missile. Yeah, it's like Ed, how does this guy get government contracts? Like, there's no one in between Tony Stark and uh, Justin Hammer in this universe. Like, <laughs> where's Samuel Colt at? Where's his descendants at? Maybe they can like arm him up or something. <laughs> yeah, it, it is it's goofy. I mean, it is okay because at this point, I was kind of used to the character what they were doing. But again, it just it brings him down because I'm just like, how is this guy even on that level? Of, of Tony Stark there. Um, I didn't realize how bulky uh, the War Machine was in this movie. Yeah, I, like, it got wow. the same thing. Yeah, because I thought it was, wasn't until um, Civil War that yeah. it got bulky, but it's really like big in this yeah. movie. When they're yeah. back-to-back, I was like, whoa, he is like a yeah. foot and a half thick. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's great. Yeah. He definitely has a better look than Iron Man. Like the black and white with the turret gun over his shoulder, so much cooler. Cool. It's yeah. pretty cool, yeah, right yeah, out of the comics. Cool. Yeah. All right, well, all of this has led us into what I'm going to call here our final battle sequence, our last action piece, the third act coming to its climax. And this is at the Stark Expo. We have Justin Hammer making his big presentation to the world, revealing the the Hammer drones being led by Rhodey's war machine. And Vanko's in the background. He's programmed all these and he starts to launch them off. He said they can't fly. They'll salute and do all this shit. And we start to see him using them to destroy, to lure in Iron Man and start to rain terror down on the Stark Expo. Again, somewhat destroying a bit of the legacy that Stark is trying to leave behind here. But this is where we get our first, I would say, major action set piece here. And I actually quite like the start of it, especially when the, the hammer drones are chasing Stark through the bridge and all that. I think that's really well done. And this is one of the first uses of the heads up display. This is something that I raved about in Iron Man 1, about the usage of it and how effective it was for showing Iron Man outside the suit, but also having the reaction of Tony Stark, the emotional facial reactions. And Robert Downey Jr. is such a great character actor that it comes across so well. And just going on to the, the point that I've been kind of banging on about here and not saying much <laughs> about why I think the graphics in this fall way short of Iron Man 1, is what they did with Don Cheadle and Robert Downey Jr. in this. They tried to really show their faces a lot. Where Iron Man relied on the heads-up display and follow-on movies rely on the heads-up display, this movie didn't. This movie spent a lot of time with Tony in his suit with his helmet off. That's, I think, the issue with this film. As you look back at the making of of this, they've got some of the pieces around their head, and then they've just got the strips of dots and all that shit. So it's a lot of practical mixed with CGI, and I think it always looks like, you, even when Vanko arrives at the end, it looks like they Photoshop their heads yeah. onto a digital suit. It doesn't work for me. This this particular, the end here, when they're in the big ball fighting back yeah. to back, yeah. it doesn't look good. Yeah, yeah. It, It's way short of what we saw in Iron Man 1, right. and it should be better. Yeah. Yeah, especially, you know, because the nighttime scenes, which is basically when you can get away with some of these effects, right? Yeah. Um, CW does it all the time <laughs> there on TV. So, but yeah, but I still do like, I like the actual fight sequence. It's cool to see these two yeah. buddy up. It is really cool to see, um, you know, War Machine give out his military tactics because he would know how to do these ground assaults and whatnot. So that's cool, you know, telling Tony, you can't stay here because this is where you go to die, yeah. you know? Yeah. Those kinds of things. And, you know, they do that cool team up move where they do, um, or no, Tony does it by himself when he does like that uh, spin. Yeah. Yeah. Which is awesome because for anyone out there listening, I play a lot of Marvel heroes and that's one of Iron Man's like main signature moves. Like, oh, okay. He does. I mean like 10 seconds. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's a really cool move. And um, yeah, no, I, I did like the scene, but it's, just, it's the effects. But the effects have been bothering me throughout the whole film. Yeah. So when I, you know, uh, dismiss that, um, I really do like the fight scene in this movie at the end. 
Yeah, like yeah. I thought it had potential. Like I thought their interaction here was the best that it was throughout the whole film. Yes. It kind of felt like two buddies playing video games. Right. Because he's like, did you see that? And he's like, yeah, I saw it. You know, like that's something totally you'd say like while playing GoldenEye yeah, or something. Or Contra. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> their chemistry is best in this scene. Mm-hmm. Like when they're in the suits. Like even when they're both like, I'm going to, the big the big man will take the high ground or whatever. So the big man will take the high ground. Yeah. And they both start walking and they're like, what do you like? Yeah. <laughs> like that's great. I think that I agree that their chemistry is the best here. And that's the yeah. best part of this action sequence is not only is it pretty cool to see them fighting back to back but their interaction together is great yeah yeah but to me like i felt like it started off great as you said and then it's kind of like the ex-wife missile it just fizzles out at the end like you're building up to this huge battle okay ivan vanko has a suit and now he like has them both by the necks with like the whip the whips yeah yeah Missed opportunity. They should have used the theme song "Whip It" every time he was on screen. But then they just like shoot each other, and then he's like dead in like ten seconds. I was like, they built him up this whole film. Right. He's just as smart as Tony Stark. Like yeah. his technology is just as like capable. And then in ten seconds, he's just defeated, just so quickly. Like it was such a letdown to me. I was expecting like this cool epic battle and it was just not there yeah it didn't play it it played it i think a little bit similar to iron man one where yes they had a lot of build up a lot of great like uh, jeff bridges was awesome just in character and then he gets yeah. to the end it's kind of like this villain's gone gone crazy for the sake yeah. of going crazy puts himself into twirling a, villain exactly. yeah. yeah puts himself into a suit and then all of a sudden we have a quick end sequence here it's almost like it's like we need to crack off this ending we need to make sense we need to get Iron Man and War Machine back-to-back fighting kind of the drones or whatever. Right. And we need to reinsert this villain here at some point. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, it, it just doesn't work. Like it just, like you said, I think it's a great example. The ex-wife missile. Yeah. The whole thing just kind of fizzles to the end. They, we need to wrap this up, guys. Yeah. I'll make a controversial statement here. Well, maybe it's not controversial. Um, the best big battle so far in the MCU, Incredible Hulk. That's been my favorite best end battle. What? Like you're talking about the three movies? The first three films. Oh, Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I had that on video. Troy's face was priceless, guys. In the retrospective series. In the retrospective series. series, Out of the first three films, Incredible Hulk has had the best end mega battle. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it's the best battle of the three, but maybe the best final fight sequence I yeah the best final fight there. sequence yeah yeah, yeah i don't know I, I would have agreed with you before but I, I'm, I'm gonna stick with iron man 2 i still liked iron man 2's a, a little bit more because we finally got to see war machine we get to see iron man together the way they took out whiplash sucked yeah but to see them take on those drones i thought that was really cool and we got to see you know we don't really see iron man use like a lot of combat it's more just like lasers and and, yeah. Bull- yeah. and, and bullets but we were here we actually got to see him, like lay down some uh, some punches and stuff so but were you ever, like, worried about Iron Man and War Machine? Like, we knew they were just going to destroy the robots, no problem. Yeah. yeah. Like, there was, like, it could have just been, like, pink bunnies. Like, that's how easily defeated <laughs> those drones were. Like, they yeah. presented no threat. They didn't, like, have any collateral damage. At least it didn't show any collateral damage to any of the Stark Expo attendees. Um, yeah. were you, I, like, I was expecting but, a little bit more. Yeah, but at any point in the film, did you feel like either of these villains had were built up enough that they could actually cause no. damage? No, no. Never. I think, like I said before, Van Gogh's main objective was just to show and damage his legacy and show that he, I've said a couple times, that he can bleed. Yeah. And Justin Hammer was shown to be incompetent through the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So at no point was I like, yeah, they're in trouble because never. this is a competent villain. It yeah. was just like, they're going to kick the shit out of these guys because it's cannon fodder and it's fun to watch. Yeah. 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 Even Hulk's uh, first fight with uh, Abomination in the human form, I really like that fight yeah. even yeah. more so than, uh, than the final one there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the other battle we've got kind of going on on the side here, maybe this, uh, I personally like it 
not as much as this end battle sequence, but we also have Black Widow having her first action sequence yeah. here. Yeah. And that's with Happy Hogan. I like him in there. I think yeah. that's fun, him doing the boxing. <laughs> yeah. And she kicks ass in here. I she agree. Does. The choreography isn't as good as it is now. Yeah. But it was a great sequence. It was one of my favorite fight sequences of the film, actually. Yeah, we get those those classic leg grabs yeah. that she's made her own now, right? So which is cool. And I think they stuck with the same stunt devil from then till even now. I think they mentioned that in Civil War. Oh wow. That is still the same stunt devil, which is Good for cool. her. Yeah. 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 I like that they showed a bit of what she can do. And kind of that builds into what she becomes in Avengers 1 is that she is this badass assassin. And we've seen that before. Yeah. She has a lot of superhero posing though. Oh, yeah. yeah. A lot of those. Deadpool would have had a field day with this. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of Zoolander face. Yeah. <laughs> like splits with one arm on the ground. Slowly yeah. like uh, hair perfectly in place. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so that kind of wraps us up as far as Iron Man's story here. We do see them parking themselves on a roof here, and we yeah. get Pepper and Tony kissing. Yeah. Again, it was a fine the way it ended. Like I think that Pepper and Tony's chemistry here was way off what it, it was, was. In Iron Man One. It didn't yeah. really feel like it was there. Yeah. And for them to finish off with a kiss, I was yeah. like, eh. Yeah. That's I, I kind of get what you're trying to do here, alluding to it a bit through the film that Tony wants to settle down. You know, he's ready to you know, put his reckless ways to the side and kind of pick Pepper. But it just, it still wasn't all there for me. They didn't yeah. really spend a lot of time with Paltrow. She wasn't really on her game, I don't think. Mm -hmm. She was just kind of in the background to a degree for the majority of this film, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. And we got, uh, you know, War Machine pulling the creep there. Yeah. yeah. In the background. <laughs> Maru first. Yeah. <laughs> didn't even say anything, didn't even notice. Like, keep going, Tony. <laughs> yeah. Do that one move you like. Yeah, like that. Like, oh, Rhodey, you're here? Like, How long have you been here for? the whole time <laughs> and then he flies away uh, yeah. or does he <laughs> well that ends kind of the iron man story to a degree here and we shift back into universe building with the end of this film in the avengers initiative and i i really like how they end this film because it, it plays well into what we're going to see in thor eventually and it plays very well into the avengers this is almost to a degree, a bit of the, the, the prequel to Avengers. Right. So we got the Avengers initiative being set up here. And there's nice references to the events going on with Incredible Hulk. You see on one of the screens there, there's the, um, the culture or whatever, the university battle going on. Um, in the background, oh, you do see it playing really? on the screen. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I miss that. Yeah, and you see um, also there's a map in the background. You see a dot in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, which is maybe Namor, and you see Wakanda as well in Africa. And I actually went and looked at that map to see if they it could, holds up. if they held that same location in Africa, yeah. and it holds up right into wow. A Civil War. Wow, that's wow. awesome. Yeah. That's that's constant. So I was very specific about that. I was like, I gotta look to see if it's in the same oh, spot in Africa. Man. You know, if it wasn't, Tim would have been annoyed. He'd have been like, What the hell is this Civil War is ruined now? <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> Everything's out the window. <laughs> This universe building is going to crap because of a small 10-second map in there. That's awesome. Well, hopefully then Marvel's working, you know, with negotiations with Universal to get uh, Namor then, if, we, if if that's the case. That'd rumors. be awesome. Yeah, I heard rumors that, because, like, they're filming Aquaman now in Hawaii. Right. Or, I think so. Or in Australia. And the same place they're saying, like, you know, there's a second C superhero that may be filming there. So Universal owns the distribution rights, so. Yeah, that's same the, as the thing. Hulk, I think. Yeah. Yeah, same as the Hulk, so it'd be hard to do a solo uh, with, with TV, Marvel. maybe. Netflix, yeah. maybe. Yeah, yeah, TV. Who knows? Yeah. Who would you get to play him with those uh, briefs? <laughs> Someone with great legs. Maybe Zac Efron. 
Jeez. <laughs> another day, another speculation from our man Sanjay. <laughs> it's all about the fashion. You think they keep just the green underwear? Mm, <laughs> definitely. No. Definitely. <laughs> he's, got, he's got pants and a shirt now in the comic books. Does he? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. thank God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Open vest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And something that we've become accustomed to with our Marvel Cinematic Universe films is our end credit scenes. And this is one of my favorites. Very subtle. It's very simple. It's directly out of the Thor film. But seeing Thor's hammer sitting there, unbelievable. I absolutely love that they threw this in there. This is, I think I've said before, maybe on the Nerd Room or whatever, that this is one of my favorite after credit scenes because it feels like it's setting up something big. Yeah, no, this was awesome seeing that that hammer just left there. That was that was so cool. And I remember, I think, what was it? Star Trek came out two thousand nine or ten? Was it the the reboot movie? I think it was uh, eight or nine. I think it was nine. And I remember, you know, everyone's like that guy there. You know, you know, uh, Kirk's dad. He's playing Thor. And I was like, whoa. So I just made that connection. Like that dude oh, is going to be cool. huge. You know, Chris Hemsworth at the time. So I thought that was just such a cool scene. Just so subtle. Um, the hammer now looks a little like toyish, like a little like Marvel <laughs> Legends, like you know, with the, yeah. like the the props kind of thing going on but you know for the most part man it, it hit home i love that yeah, that yeah. something so subtle yeah as you said so yeah. subtle like five seconds of screen time not even maybe three yeah. and yeah. it literally had people speculating for years until thor came out yeah right i mean yeah just so well done yeah yes yeah, my brain's like how are they going to bring asgard to life like how are they going to do this you know this is this is going to be one of the hardest films and you know that's the thing with marvel they keep pushing the boundaries how are you going to do thor how are you going to do Guardians of the Galaxy. How are you going to reboot Spider-Man? You know, how yeah. are you going to do these movies? And, and they've been doing it. Yeah. yeah. They've been executing just perfectly, yes. I think. And I, I've spoken a lot about the whole theme of this movie being legacy. And I want to know, what legacy does this film have for <laughs> you guys? That do you recommend Iron Man 2 for our listeners in our MCU retrospective series? Um... I would be a slight recommend, I guess, because it does such a good job universe building and it kind of ties some of the threads together and plants the seeds that we see later on. As a film itself, for me, it doesn't really hold up. Um, I just don't know. The Iron Man franchise has kind of lost its way. Um, that's why you kind of see him just showing up in different films nowadays and not really anchoring his own film. So for me, like it was okay, but I found like some of the stuff a little cheesy at times and just it didn't live up to the first film. Um, so yeah, it'd be a slight recommend just for universe building, but definitely not one of Marvel's best outings. In fact, I might even say it's their worst one. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? For the most part, uh, yeah, I'm going to agree with you. Um, you know, when I first saw this movie, I loved it. I was like, why does everybody hate this movie? And I'm not saying people should hate this movie now, yeah. but uh, for universe building, definitely you got you got to check out this movie. But as an actual film, it's it it's it loses its way a couple of times, and the villains again just don't. I think this is one of the worst villains we've had actually in a Marvel movie. When, Him people, and Malekith. <laughs> well, we'll see when we get to, to Thor two yeah. when, when we cover that though. But you know, Robert Downey Jr. again kills this role. He was made to play Tony Stark, Agreed. Iron Man. You know, we, we get uh, War Machine coming up, which is which is cool. Uh, we do have some good fight scenes. That that race car sequence is just phenomenal to this day. But you know, some of the effects are are kind of poorly handled. So. Um, yeah, I will recommend to see this movie. I think I did say, you know, you could stay away from the Hulk, but with this, I do think you do got to watch Iron Man 1, you got to watch Iron Man 2, and you got to stay tuned to the MCU retrospective to find out what else we think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel your guys' sentiments there. I agree with most of them. 
Um, upon revisiting this movie, I found myself liking it more than I thought it was going to. I remember this being more of a muddled mess. And the fact that I've had probably for the last couple of years, last five, six years, people saying that Iron Man 2 is burdened by universe building. I don't think that's the case at all. I no. think it no. really successfully does this. It executes it very well. This isn't nearly as strong as Iron Man. Iron Man is a far superior movie to this. This wasn't probably the follow-up that we were all hoping for in this. The story, like I said, is a bit muddled. Robert Downey Jr., though, carries this mantle, like you said, Troy. This yeah. is unbelievable. I think one of the problems here is that they don't surround him with people that can stand next to, to Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He shines on every moment that he's on the on the screen. And when he's not, you're waiting for him to come back. Yes. And you're not point. engaged with the other characters here. When War Machine, when Justin Hammer, all these other characters, no one even shines a candle to Robert Downey Jr. here. And no. I feel when you get him in Avengers... He works better there because you have better actors, Evans, Hemsworth, yeah. even Black Widow or um, Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. She's good, but she's not given a lot to do here. She plays yeah. that eye candy role a lot in this movie. Right. And she's not given that ability to fully flesh out the character that she does get in Avengers. So I think that has a big thing to do with it. And the villains, yeah, they're a mess. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think they have some shining moments in there and some stuff they could really do well. I think the story just doesn't serve them properly. I think it's more about building the universe than it is about giving you a solo standalone Iron Man movie. And does that make this a bad movie? No. no. I think that we're building a universe here. We needed this film. You need to watch this film. This is yeah. a definite recommend for me mm -hmm. from both an Iron Man and an MCU perspective. I think that there's some good stuff in there with tony stark and robert downey jr as that character there's some fun stuff in here as well there's some great character interactions periodically throughout this film but this is a must for the mcu and a must for me so for sure a recommend for the mcu here yeah 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 and, and you know and i guess going off of uh you know the current state of the mcu i really feel those movies have just set the bar so high that going back to this movie and the hulk I kind of look at it differently because I really mm. do feel, you know, superhero movies have changed so much from then, you yeah. know, like things like, I guess you can see even Logan or Man of Steel or mm -hmm. Avengers, obviously those kind of movies, they've just they accelerated so much, right? Yeah. Like yeah. if this one came out first, I'm sure we would have loved it a lot yes. more. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then Iron Man, if that came out second, we'd be like, you know, they improved on CGI, they improved on the story. It would have felt more organic. Yeah. But, you know, because this came out second, and as you said, we've had so many better comic book films. Right. Um, so you make an interesting point. Um, comicbook.com has a ranking of, I think, 110 comic book films. It has Iron Man 2 at number 55, just below X-Men Apocalypse, and just ab above the first Blade. Do you think that's like... Just above Blade? Yeah, just above Blade. Do you think that's right where it should be? About 55, so about like an average halfway shouldn't be about blade i think blade one is incredible yeah but maybe i, I have to go back and <laughs> watch it now and I, I don't think it should be below x-men apocalypse either i think that movie is yeah really it should be below mess. yeah i think apocalypse oh. yeah the latest one that came out X-Men. yeah yeah definitely not apocalypse oh. was horrendous i think is no one way. of my top three bottom films superhero films of 2016 really uh, and guess what the other two were <laughs> <laughs> do they have the initials d and c in them <laughs> yeah. to, well, to me i think x-men apocalypse is better than this I don't know. It's hard, it's hard no, to compare. Especially X Men Apocalypse coming out now. Like, at yeah. least that movie came out when it came out. This, True, fair X Men enough. Apocalypse came out in a time when superhero movies should be treated with so much care and perfection. Yeah, I read an article that said X Men Apocalypse was the best X Men film they've no. ever done. Good God, no. What? Yeah. They said it's the most true X Men film. 
It's a mess. <laughs> mess? Yeah. Like, I could see some films mess, but this, like, X-Men Apocalypse for me was, like, decent. We have a review on this <laughs> in the Nerd Room feed. You can go back and I was MIA. Us. I was captured by a little company called CFA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we will come back to that someday. We will yeah. eventually, hopefully, do this for the X-Men universe as well. I'd oh, like yeah. to go back and That'd revisit That'd be cool. Those, yeah, I'd be down. Do a retrospective on that, maybe building into some of the bigger films. Yeah. But, yeah, this, is, this has been great talking iron man 2 here guys and if you'd like to be a part of these episodes comment questions whatever we'd love to integrate your thoughts into our overall retrospective series so if you'd like to get a hold of us you can email us at the at gmail.com you can comment on our youtube or facebook pages you can also get us on twitter we're always hanging out there talking marvel dc star wars whatever our handles are at the end of the episode so hit us up on twitter if you've got comments questions anything you want throw it our way Next month, we're going to be coming back to you guys towards the end of the month. Our April retrospective is going to be on Thor 1. So I'm really looking forward to talking that. And that's going to be followed up in May with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. We're going to do a little bit of a sidestep into the future MCU films and cover those in the month of release and kind of integrate this into our overall discussion about the MCU. So be on the lookout for all of that. We've got a lot of movies to discuss here. We're three months in into a 16-month retrospective. But it's going strong. I'm really enjoying doing this, and I'm loving revisiting some of these old films. And hopefully you guys, the listeners, are as well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching Thor, finally an MCU movie with a good villain. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, can't wait to see you know Thor in the Goldilocks, right? He has that hair going down. So yeah. And finally wearing the helmet. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for a short period of time so, there. He, yeah. he, apparently he's going to wear it in Ragnarok. Yes, yeah. 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 I saw that, that, that uh, design. Yeah. Right the t-shirt, there. yeah. Looks good. Looks good. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, guys... Until next month, we're reviewing Thor 1 for the Nerd Room MCU Retrospective. I'm Tim. I'm Troy. And I am Iron Man. No shit. Sanjay. This has been a Nerd Room Podcast production. You can find our hosts, Tim and Troy, on Twitter at TheNerdRM and TroyTheBoy87. Don't forget to subscribe to The Nerd Room on iTunes, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search The Nerd Room Podcast. Be sure to head over to StarWarsCommonwealth.com to find other podcasts on the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network, including Talk Star Wars, Generation X-Wing, Tumbling Saber, Rogue Squadron Podcast, and the Skyhopper Podcast. Follow the Star Wars Commonwealth on Twitter at SWCommonwealth and take your first steps into a larger world.